Hey man, it's me, Kevin Smith, the annoying voice of podcasting, and you're listening to the non-annoying Three Guys in a Flick. Ladies and gentlemen, please take your seats. The show is about to begin. Putting people of all shapes, sizes, colors, putting them on stage together, and presenting them as equals. Another critic might have even called it a celebration of humanity. Welcome back. You are listening to Three Guys in a Flick. This is where we review the good, the bad, and the absurd. Tonight's episode, The Greatest Showman. Beware spoilers. Coming to you from the center ring at the Barnum Circus, my name is Don. And to my right, we have our comic book guy, John. Hello. And to my left, we have the professor, Ken. Hello, everybody. And we have a very special guest tonight. John, why don't you go ahead and introduce said special guest? To my right is my lovely wife, Julie, joining us tonight. Hello. Hello Hi. there. How you doing? I'm doing great. Yeah. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Uh, tonight we are talking about The Greatest Showman. And Julie, I know because you listen to every one of our episodes, uh, the next question out of my mouth is going to be, why The Greatest Showman? Well, I like musicals to begin with, but um, Hugh Jackman. Oh, wait, hang on. We have to have a song. Ladies and gents, this is the moment you've waited for. You've been searching in the dark, just wet soaking through the floor. Okay, we're back. So, other than you liking musicals? Hugh Jackman. Hugh Jackman? Those are the uh, only two reasons? <laughs> yeah. No, I um, I really like the um, soundtrack mm-hmm. in this movie. And um, it's just a movie that I've always really liked. You've also all. mentioned to me in the past that you love the positive message of this movie. Yeah. And acceptance and... Uh, just that I love the personally for me again, just like Julie was saying, I love musicals. It's you know right up there with comic book movies with me, and the idea of acceptance, the also the idea that um, no matter where you are in life, you can always come back from adversity. That you can build yourself back up through you know in, ingenuity and and just strength of will. Yeah, interesting. Uh, Professor, had you had seen this going into it? No, uh, watching it for the first time. Wow, that's a couple movies now that you have watched for the first time here, right? Mm-hmm. How do you feel about that overall? I'm okay with that. Can't see everything all, always. Yeah, no, I like that. And actually, I'm kind of jealous. Well, I, I I will also say I got the Blu-ray for Christmas, and I think it was last year, scoured the house, couldn't find the fucking thing, so I had to rent it. How many times have you seen it, Don? Just once. Just once before? Yeah, just once. Uh, I didn't see it in the theater. Uh, I didn't see it when all the hoopla came out. It was nominated for this and nominated for that. And I'm just going to go ahead and say this right now. The Greatest Showman already gets 
two and a half fucks from me just because of Hugh Jackman. All right. Fortunately, I don't think it climbs any that much higher. So. Did you get the comic book references in this movie? Fire away. Wolverine is all over this movie. Yeah. For example, what is the last name of Charity's maiden name? Is it Hewitt? It's Howlett. Howlett. Which is. Yeah, I know. Which is Logan's last name that we learn in Wolverine Origins. Excellent. So, I mean, they're just all over the place. But she was actually based on a real character. Yeah. Was that last name Howlett? You know, I don't know for sure if it was. Oh. Could be, but just the fact that they kind of worked that in. See, when I watched this last night, when I would see Hugh Jackman in the theater standing in front of the crowd, I immediately go to the prestige. Mm. I I did too. It was really easy to make the jump to the prestige. And I got to admit, for a second or two, it kind of takes me out of it till we get another song. But, you know, overall, it's a musical. You know what I mean? Well, this was actually uh, Hugh Jackman's third musical movie. I guess he's made uh, Oklahoma, followed by Le, Le Miserables, and then uh, then this movie, Greatest Showman. Yeah, who knew that Wolverine could sing, right? I think he's fantastic as a, as a singer in, in, in musicals. I think he's a, a dynamic actor all the way around. I think he can do it all. That's you know what, what I would mean? say. He, he's a triple threat. I mean, he can do everything. Right, right. So, do you like any other Hugh Jackman movies? Lame is. Musical. Another musical. Yeah. I have not seen the comic one, so. And Don, you saw a musical not too long ago, West Side Story. Yeah. And just overall, what did you think of West Side Story as a musical versus The Greatest Showman as a musical? Uh, are we talking about the remake or the original? I guess it doesn't matter. The West Side Story is the story, right? Well, you saw Spielberg. And so this is a, you know, it, it's it's a traditional but a contemporary take as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, I like West Side Story because I like the, the, the story of it. And uh, I kind of grew up with West Side Story and all the songs. And But The Greatest Showman, it was fun. You know, I like their use of modern music and modern dance to kind of move along. And But when you read more about what kind of guy Barnum was. We'll get into that later. Okay. Well, I'm just saying it, it has an effect. Yeah. Unfortunately, today in 2023, it has a fucking effect. Yeah. Thank you, internet. But anyways, to answer your question, which was, which one do I gravitate toward? West Side or... Um, I think I, it would go toward the West Side Story. John, what was the last musical you saw before before this? Before this? I realized it was probably last week or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually been a while since I've seen a musical. It was probably the remake of West Side Story. Yeah? It was probably the last uh, new movie that I saw. So what about you? How do you feel about it? Uh, comparing to, I have never been a big fan of old school musicals. Uh, you know, I'm not a big fan of Oklahoma. I'm not a big fan of, sadly, I, I like the story of West Side Story. I just was never a big fan of the music from it. Um, I've always liked more contemporary musicals. So that's why, again, this movie really spoke to me because it had the classic backdrops with the, you know, more uh, current pop contemporary, contemporary music. flair to it. Yeah. Julie, what about you? 
I was not a fan of West Side Story. Okay, but was that the last musical you saw before this? Yes. And why didn't you, when it, what was it about West Side that you, that you didn't dig as much? I think it was the music. I, I agree with John. I tend to go for the more contemporary. Mm-hmm. I don't really like the old school. For me, I definitely find myself gravitating towards the more traditional musicals. I grew up on a ton of musicals, uh, Oklahoma, uh, South Pacific, Sound of Music. I really enjoyed those, and that's what I used to, uh, you know, that's what I had. And once I got to be an adult, I didn't pursue musicals anymore. And I just, in general, don't necessarily look for those stories anymore. Sure, sure. And and it's funny that you say that because I, I don't mind musicals. I like musicals, but I'm not just restricted to the traditionals, right? I do like the more modern ones as well. Uh, Across the Universe, I've said this a thousand times, is my, probably my favorite musical, but it's all based to a Beatles soundtrack, right? I think what musicals do is they use the music and the lyrics as the dialogue, and it moves us in the story. And if it's done right, and the tunes are catchy, it should theoretically work, right? Well, let me ask this question. Uh, uh, regarding the last musical that we watched, well, The Last Dragon had singing in it. Does that count as a musical? One of the other things I really appreciate about this movie and about Hugh Jackman is this was a passion project for him. It took him nine years to get this movie greenlit. Did you hear the story of how he got this movie finally greenlit? No. Uh, he kept trying with different studios to get the movie, you know, produced basically and they nobody really wanted to take a chance on an original musical uh, especially for a movie so what he did was is he had the writers write the song this is me and he brought in kayla to sing the song in front of the producers in front of the people who would back the movie and soon as she sang it it was immediately greenlit well that's that song is probably the most popular song coming out of coming off this soundtrack, right? It's nominated for best uh, original song. Uh, it's a good song. And the way that Kila performs it is fantastic. You know what I mean? So it makes sense that uh, her doing that would get to the, get the producers to go, oh, well, let's think about this for a second. You know, and Jackman, smart as fuck, right? If you watch on YouTube, you can actually see the, the performance she did that got them greenlit. And she was scared as hell to sing this song in front of them. And at one point, you even see, while she's singing it, she reaches out and holds Hugh Jackman's hand just to give her the confidence to get through the song. There's another little nugget of information. The uh, Greenlit, finally, you know, that that meeting, that, that they finally tipped him over to say, okay, we'll go ahead and invest. The writers wrote the song on a two-hour plane trip out to that meeting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When creativity hits, it hits. You know what I mean? So, I mean, it's like, wow, like right right before you get there, okay, here's the song. And look what happens. And do you know what those uh, writers are also famous for? Uh, what's that? They also wrote the music for La La Land. Oh, yeah. Another Academy Award nominated film. So Bill Condon, he also wrote uh, a couple of screenplays. He did it for Chicago and Dreamgirls. So he has some experience in working with musicals. Oh, sure. Released on December 20th, 2017, The Greatest Showman was directed by Michael Gracie, written by Jenny Bix, and it stars Hugh Jackman, Zac Efron, Michelle Williams, Rebecca Ferguson, Zendaya, 
Keila Settle, and a bunch of other actors. How'd this movie do, Don? This movie was made for $84 million, and it looks like it brought in $435 million. Cha-ching. Not bad, right? Not bad. I guess when this movie first came out, in its first few weekends, it was number four, and it only had brought in $9 million. And the journalists who were complaining about how what, you know, well it was doing called it a flop. Well, joke's on them. Yeah. It stayed in the top 10 for 12 weeks in a row. Yeah, I believe it. Mm-hmm. I, I remember when it came out. I remember the hoopla about it. Yeah. So, yeah, there was a lot of buzz. Yeah, there was. And the soundtrack became an international success. It was number one all across the world. Oh, sure. So, Don, I don't know if you'll find this surprising or not, but Michael Gracie, the director. Yeah. You know what he mostly directs? Music videos. That's exactly right. Music videos, because that's what this movie is, is one big, long series of music videos. And normally I don't mind music videos because I come from the era when you sat down and watched MTV and it was actually music videos on there. But what kind of grated on me a little bit about this film is the song that just kept going and going and going like the second song of the movie yeah they sing it when they're little and they're singing it again and i just felt like they overused that one just a little bit but what do i know i think it comes down to if the soundtrack connected with you and if you love the music you love the movie if the song started to kind of grade on you a little bit that's going to affect your enjoyment of the movie oh sure so we kind of talked about Hugh Jackman and how much we all love Hugh Jackman and how can you not? Well, he had, I guess, did you hear he had skin cancer Yeah. during this um, on his nose to the point where the uh, doctors told him not to sing during the movie, during the filming. And he decided, okay, he wouldn't sing. He would you know, have a dub later, except for the final, like that bar scene where he sings in the bar with his family. Yeah. Uh, he decided he had to sing that song. And I didn't see it. I looked for it in the movie, but they say during the filming, you could noticeably see blood coming down his nose because he, he wanted to sing that song so bad. Wow. I didn't even know to look. So there you go. Uh, what'd you guys think of Mr. Zac Efron? He was surprisingly good. You know what? I don't give a fuck what anybody says. I like me some Zac Efron. Okay. He did the whole high school musical thing, blah, 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 whatever. But I think he gets out. Uh, have you seen Baywatch? No, he, he has great comedic timing. Uh, neighbors. Nope. Um, yeah. What's the other one? Bad Grandpa with De Niro. Nope. Yeah, I get it. Uh, but I, what I'm saying is, I like Efron as as a fucking actor. This was, I guess, his fifth musical movie, if you count the High School Musical. Sure. I, why wouldn't you? And for a guy who started with Disney, I agree with you. He's come a long way, and I really thought he did a great job in this movie and. I thought he did well in Baywatch and Neighbors. Those are the three movies I've seen. Zendaya. What would you guys think of Zendaya? She was good. I, I was uh, I was impressed with her dancing. Yeah, absolutely. She was great. And um, she did a lot of her own stunts. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I love me some Zendaya. In fact, the first time I saw this movie, uh, I don't think I even made the connection that that was Zendaya in this movie. Because, you know, I'd already seen Spider-Man and all that kind of stuff. Uh it didn't connect me. And then I realized, oh my God, that is her. So I've kind of tried to watch a lot of her things. In fact, Euphoria, I love that show. Have you ever watched Euphoria? Uh, no. 
Oh, it's a great series, and she does amazing in that series, yeah. playing you know a drug addict, you know, kind of trying to get through rehab and everything. It's an amazing show. Interesting. I think she's a fantastic actress, and I think she's going to go a long way. What did you think of Zendaya? I thought she was fantastic. Uh, I've watched her since she was on the Disney show Shake It Up, mm-hmm. uh, because uh, for the record, my daughter loved that show, and so we had to watch it. And being the dad that I am, we watch Shake It Up. So anyways, I've always thought that she's really talented. And now that she's grown up and has done feature films, I think she can be a star. I really enjoyed her in Dune. I enjoy her as MJ in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, I do want to check out the Euphoria because I hear that is a really good show. But I'm a fan. What did you guys think of the performers? I thought they were very well cast. Uh, the, The actor who played Tom Thumb... Uh, I guess he had to to act on his knees the whole time. He's only like 13, 14 years old, so they had to dub his voice. And if you notice how he walked, it was because they had to green screen out his, his legs and he yeah. had to walk on his knees. Yeah, he was too tall. Even then, he was still taller than Tom Thumb. Yeah. Uh, I liked him. I liked Keela especially. I thought she nailed it out of the park with her singing and her acting in this movie for someone who had only done stage performances before. Oh, she did a fantastic job. I blame the person who put the beard on her face. Why? They just not. Nah, look it looks right so or? fake. It, yeah. It looked, yeah, there were definitely some scenes where she, it looked terrible. Yeah. Yeah. I thought. Fortunately, like, she has a beautiful voice. Yeah. So. I thought when they first found her in the factory, it looked somewhat realistic, but you're right. When it got all groomed and combed, it just looked like a fake beard on her. Yeah. Well, I wanted to know why she shaved her armpits but couldn't shave her face. I was thinking the same thing. What do you guys think of Barnum not being a really good guy in real life? You know, that is one of the sad parts. And there's a lot of stories and rumors, things that are true, things that are not. Um, you know, he the, the story is, is that he actually owned a slave when he first started out. That's one of the really negative things is he had a woman that he claimed was 165 years old uh, and that was the, uh, had known George Washington or something like that. Um, and he, he got around the whole slave idea because he technically rented her from the people that supposedly owned her. Uh, and he got a lot of bad press for it. Um, and he deservedly so, you know, kind of making money off of showing her around. But eventually, I don't know if you know this, but after the circus and everything, he ran for Congress and fought slavery and was one of the the helpers who helped abolish slavery. So can you really make up for sins in the past with stuff you do in the future? Now, he he did do a lot of other kind of little scams and things like that, but you also have to think about the life he came from where, he you know, a lot of the stuff that they portrayed in the movie, father dying, living on the street, having nothing to eat, having to steal just to eat, things like that. That actually did happen to him. So it was kind of, a, you know, his life was based off the circumstance of what was happening to him. Yeah, well, I mean, that happens to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. So, what about you? Uh, the stigmatism uh, lingered throughout the movie, and no matter how uh, how glossy and rosy and and cheerful and happy and tranquil he seems to be with his children and his wife and such, I thought, but that wasn't you in real life because you were only about you and you were only about making money and you were very cruel to everybody around you and all the animals. He he brought in he ushered in. A, a level of cruelty to animals uh, that has that has stayed with the uh, 
with the industry in general when it comes to uh, uh, traveling circuses and such. Mm-hmm. And he is somebody that is a, a not a good person. And I thought about that all the way through the movie. Yeah, yeah, it, it was on my mind too. What about you? I didn't know he was a bad person until researching this after seeing it a few times. So, so you just want to say thanks, John. Thanks for having me come on and make me research and totally shit in my Wheaties. One hundred percent. Hey guys, do you know what time it is? Tell us. It's trivia time. In our continuing pursuit. To crown the master of movie trivia, I have prepared a series of questions related to today's movie. Please wait until I finish each question before answering. Number one. Is everybody ready? I'm playing today, too. I don't think anyone asked. Yes, Julie, we are ready. What does the T stand for in P.T. Barnum? Taylor. Bingo. Number two. Where was Barnum's American Museum located? Manhattan. New York City. Manhattan, New York. (laughs) So we'll give you each a half a point. Still half a point lower than me. Who is known as the Swedish Nightingale? Jenny Jenny Lynn. That goes to John. I'm going to have to say collusion on that one, but we'll we'll get into that later. Go on. What does P.T. Barnum give as collateral to secure his loan at the bank? Twelve ships. The sunken ships at the bottom of the ocean. Was it six of them? Sunken ships in the South Sea is all I wrote. What did you say? Twelve, Twelve ships. Twelve ships. I think you, I think you give it to... It has to be sunken ships. Why? Because they were sunken. But were they still because they ships? Were, they were worthless. But were they still ships? Well, ships, That's my point. Ships it, float. That, just so a ship that's not in water is not a ship because no. it's not floating. No. What is it? It's a, uh, a, that's uh, what trailer. I fucking thought. Or an RV. All yeah. right. So you're giving Ken that? No, you're, you're, oh. you're, 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 the the, you're the judge. I'm just, I'm just making a case. He's just bitching about everything. All right. Okay. Well, I'll give that to Ken. <laughs> How many tickets do they sell after handing out flyers all day? Three. three. Wow. That's a three way tie. <laughs> Three-way. <laughs> you beat me by half a second. What is the bearded lady's name in the movie? Um, Letty. Good yeah, job. Damn it. That goes to Ken. What percent does P.T. and Philip Carlyle finally agree on in order to become partners? 10 per- 10%. 50 uh, at the end of the movie. 50-50. No, that's not what she asked, though. That's not oh. what I asked. So Ken, Ken got that. Ben. Okay, the last question. Where does Barnum first meet Jenny Lind? At her house. At the Queen. At the Queen oh, reception. At the, Queen. the Queen's uh, in London That's with correct. Queen Elizabeth. Victoria. Queen Victoria. That's correct. Buckingham Palace. So let's see. Adding these up, I think we have a three-way tie. <laughs> she said three-way. As a child, P.T. Barnum and his tailor father, Philo. Work for the Howlett family. Barnum falls for the Howlett's daughter, Charity. When Charity attends finishing school, she and Barnum write to each other until reunited as adults. They eventually marry and raise two daughters, Caroline and Helen, in New York City. They live a humble life, and though Charity is happy, Barnum craves more. Barnum loses his shipping clerk job when the company goes bankrupt. 
due to a typhoon that sank all the firm's cargo vessels. He later secures a bank loan, deceptively using his former employer's lost ships as collateral. He opens Barnum's American Museum in downtown Manhattan, which features various wax figures. Ticket sales are slow, so Caroline and Helen suggest showcasing something alive. Barnum adds freak performers, such as bearded lady Letty Lutz and a dwarf man Charles Stratton. This garners higher attendance, but also protests and poor reviews from well-known critic James Gordon Bennett. Uh, I don't know which version you guys watched, uh, but did it open on the 1970s looking 20th Century Fox logo? Mm -hmm. Just like Star Wars, the old days? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Uh, I thought that was kind of cool. And then it uh, turns black and white, and we get the opening to this movie you kind of get that that musical opening what did you think of that first performance uh the song is catchy uh i like you jackman and right off the bat this tells you what kind of musical we are getting you know what i mean everything is uh modernized you know i mean fuck he opens with a dab really and so i know from here that it's going to be a modern musical set in the 1890s. And if you can accept that, and if that's okay with you, it should be a fun ride. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I also like the colors and the percussion and the, the way they kind of, you know, they have the rhythm to it that it just really draws you in. I, it was, it's one of my most favorite scenes from the movie. Cause it just really draws you in. I thought it was so clever how they use the audience, you know, stomping their feet for the kind of beat of the, the music. Mm-hmm. Sir? Came across as a music video. Right. I do like, too, how you know, he does the whole thing. It almost seems like a dream sequence that then transitions to him to as a child. And I thought that was a kind of a clever way. The whole pacing of this movie worked for me. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, that song ends, or so we think, and uh, we now get to meet uh, Phineas, as a child uh what did you guys think of the whole his him being young the taylor father the forbidden romance all the way to him coming back because it's all again one song and it's (laughs) professor it's a music video what do you guys think of this bit again i like the pacing we didn't need a lot of extra story to figure out that, you know, he comes from a poor family. He works with his father, who's a tailor. Uh, you know, the separation between the low class and the high class and highbrow, you know, there's obviously the mistreatment of that. Um, we didn't need the whole prolonged his father dies kind of storyline. He's on the street. You get it all real quick in the first five minutes of this movie. I just thought it was just busy establishing. This is why he grows up to be the person that he is. He's always craving more. He's always wanting to have more than what he has. Right. Did you guys catch um, throughout some of these scenes, you could kind of see some of the previous Barnum scams and other things that he had done in the backgrounds of different scenes? No. Uh, When they get, finally, they get through the whole dance thing and, you know, he grows up and he marries his wife, Charity, and they get to the apartment. In the background in that apartment is a bunch of signs up against the wall. All of those signs represented different things that he had tried to do 
to make money. The example was a sign that said lottery, which is what Barnum had actually run for a few years trying to make money. It was one of his, his gambles that he had done. Oh, I didn't know that. Me neither. And so we are introduced to Michelle Williams, who plays Charity. What you guys think of Michelle? She was very sweet. I liked her. I liked her voice, and I liked her dancing. I thought they did. I thought the chemistry between Hugh and, and her worked really well. It worked for me. I believed him. Huh. You? Nah, not so much. Never been a real big Michelle Williams fan. Uh, no offense, Miss Williams. Uh, she just comes across as cardboard. What else was she in? Venom. Um, Manchester by the Sea. Um, oh, okay. She's been in a lot of stuff. Yeah. And, and she just kind of comes across as plain to me. And maybe I'm just a dick. I well, don't know. Based on those 100%. other- 100%. Based on those other two, I, I totally hear what you're saying about that. Yeah, she's never st- she's never stood out in my mind before either. But yeah, I thought she was pleasant in this. Yeah, excellent. I just thought she fit the role as a person who's born into the highbrow, you know, the, the upper class, who doesn't really care about any of it, just wants a happy life with a husband and children and all that. And that's all she wants. And I thought it just worked. The, the look on her face and the, as you kind of called it, you know, the plain plainness of her really worked in this role yeah i guess it helps to be white in 1890 well that too wasn't it like the 1840s i don't know i just i saw 1890s somewhere so that's where i'm going with okay barnum passed away in 1881 and charity she passed away in 1873 oh so fuck i'm way off yes we'll we'll say that i'm way off so yeah it, it, it very well could have been 1840 yeah okay cool beans and so uh, now... Time for another song. Yes. You can shake away Cause you're just a dead man walking Think that's your only option But you can flip the switch And brighten up your darkest day Sun is up and the color's blinding Take the world and redefine it Leave behind your narrow mind Never be the same Come alive, come alive Go and light your light And welcome back. Charity is pregnant. They have the two kids, and we get the scene where Barnum wants more, and he says, where's the magic? And uh, Charity says, look at your daughters, and then he starts telling the story with the little spinny thing. The wishing machine. Is that what that was? Oh, that's right, because they were wishing. Did you catch the... It? They showed it once with the kind of the spinning machine in the, the broken down house, and then they showed it again during this scene. Did you catch the foreshadowing? No. In the background of the lights and the things that were shining on all the curtains were circus animals dancing around. Elephants and then horses. Like, mm-hmm. Those tricky fucking filmmakers. Yeah, so it's supposed I to, tell you. It was supposed to give us the idea of this has always been in the back of his mind. Yeah. What I took out of the his little uh, dream machine that he concocts on the spot is I think this is supposed to be a reference to the the uh, creativity and ingenuity or at least the very unconventional way that PT looks at life and he is able to look and see something that other people don't see that on the fly he was able to come up with this ingenious little treat to give his daughter that is instantly magical. Do you remember what the wishes were? Uh, One was for ballet shoes and one was for for one of the daughters to marry Santa Claus. Marry Santa Claus, yep. Yeah. What, what wish would you have made, Doc? Get me out of this fucking musical. That's what my wish would have been. So, there you go. 
And so now we get to see PT at his job and they go bankrupt because all of their 12 ships that were floating in the water sunk. So, you know, uh, and then he is out of a job and he decides to start a museum. He decides to invest in this museum that seems to be completely uh, just a dearth of a business opportunity. Right. But I do appreciate his savvy and I do appreciate uh, being able to look at something and see what no one else can see. You know what I mean? Because eventually wax museums and shit, they become very popular, mm-hmm. you know? And if this is the birth of show business, well, so be it. Apparently the story is he coined that word show business. Yeah. I, I wouldn't doubt it. I mean, he tried to coin everything else. Mm-hmm. Right. That's true. What'd you think of the introduction of Tom Thumb? I thought what he says to Tom Thumb when he goes to his house, is kind of a fucking dick, right? Everyone's already laughing at you, kid. You might as well get paid for it. Yeah, he definitely starts out as a dick. Doesn't make him wrong, and in a way, it's kind of smart, right? But, I mean, there's a thing called tact, and eventually, according to this uh, iteration of the story, he learns it, right? So then he goes, and, and he's positive, and I think what P.T. Barnum's true gift is is that he knows how to talk to people. You yeah. know what I mean? Because he yeah. could get anybody to do anything, really. Because during this whole uh, team collective montage, he then goes, gets Letty, and because he hears her voice, and he, he goes to find her, and she's pretty much like, fuck off. You know what I mean? I'm, I've been this way my whole life, and no one has ever once thought anything of it, and now you're going to come along and tell me that I'm great? But... She buys it because he sells it with such passion and belief. I I liked the little part when with Letty when um, after you know she told him to go away and such, and his daughter approached her with this beautiful smile, handing her the flyer, and you could just kind of see it set inside Letty, and she smiled back. And and that's an important scene because if a little girl isn't afraid of her. You know, then maybe, just maybe, everyone else won't be either. Uh, what did you think of the people that he recruited? Most of them were actual uh, people that he, you know, P.T. Barnum did recruit, like the dog boy, the tattooed man, the, uh, the was it 700-pound man, uh, bearded lady. All these are actual people he did recruit. What did you think of how they were portrayed? Oh, I thought they did fine. Uh, the cast of characters in this, uh, they worked. Mm-hmm. And um, what what I guess I can appreciate about this part of the film is that, yeah, you have all of these people from different backgrounds and and um, different whatevers, but they all come together and, you know, spoiler alert, they all consider each other family. And so if anything, that's that's the message to take away. And I think that these actors and the way that they portrayed this, I thought they did a really good job. Did you have a favorite of the different uh, characters uh my favorite characters of the characters were uh zach efron and zendaya fictional characters not they were created for this movie yeah but the other ones were freaks (laughs) they were they were all based on real life characters but you're right their names and their acts were made up it was to give it a contemporary flair for today's audience you know young love and such sure 
Yeah, their whole love story was made up, sadly. But uh, I guess Philip Carlyle, they think, was based off of Bailey. You know, Barnum and Bailey. Ah. Barnum renames his venture Barnum Circus and recruits playwright Philip Carlyle to help generate publicity. Philip is mesmerized by the African-American trapeze artist Ann Wheeler, but he hides his feelings. Philip arranges for Barnum and his troupe to meet Queen Victoria. Barnum persuades famed Swedish singer Jenny Lind to tour America with him as her manager. Lind's American debut is a success. During her song, Philip's parents see him and Anne holding hands. As Barnum gains favor with the aristocrat patrons, he distances himself from his troop, advising them to work without him. Dejected, they decide to stand against their local harassers. When Philip and Anne attend the theater together, they run into Philip's parents. They chastise him for parading around with the help. Philip tries to convince Anne that they can be together, but she disagrees, saying that they will never be accepted socially. As Barnum takes Lynn on a U.S. tour, Charity, who stays home with the girls, feels isolated from her husband. While on tour, Lynn becomes romantically attracted to Barnum. When he rejects her advances, she threatens to quit and later retaliates with a surprise kiss at the end of her last show, which is photographed by the press. So we are in full swing here. Everything's going well for PT. Uh, and we get to see how well, because that's a big-ass house that he gets. Holy right. shit, man, he's swimming in the money. Did you, did you notice the foreshadowing that they saw the house in the beginning as little kids? Right, that was the house they were running through at the beginning. Yeah. Um, I thought it was clever how the critic is the one that came up with the word circus. And Barnum's like, yeah, I like that fucking word. He embraces it. Yeah. He, and and he, the word humbug. Yeah, I, I didn't realize that was the 1840s version of asshole. Mm -hmm. So. Uh, did you notice, obviously, our progression of uh, it's never enough? I mean, Jenny Lynn sings the song Never Enough, but that's kind of a running theme throughout the movie that it's never enough for P.T. Barnum. Oh, yeah. We're introduced to Philip, finally. 30 minutes into it, now we get me some Zac Efron. What'd you think of that whole bar scene? They drank a lot of drinks. Yeah, after like seven shots, there's no way they should be even standing. You know what I mean? I thought it was fine. I thought that they complimented each other well. Um, I remember thinking to myself, fuck, another song. But it's a musical. I don't know. I don't know why I was surprised, right? Uh, what'd you guys think of this? It was my favorite scene. Really? Yep. Hands down. Why? The choreography of it, the uh, the inclusion of the bartender, he very smartly moved the glasses and the bottles around and the way he moved in and out of frame. What about you? I loved it. Um, I was confused, though. Was, did he buy that bar? Who? P.T.? Barnum. Because did he own the bar? Did he own the bar? Since there's nobody else in there? That and doesn't he come back to that bar and there's pictures of his family yeah. up on the wall? I was confused. I tried looking it up to see if that's what they were trying to say in the movie or if the real life P.T. Barnum had ever owned a bar. And no, he never owned a bar. So who knows? Maybe the bar was just he was such a big spender there or he was the only one who ever came to that bar. That's why maybe they put his pictures up on the wall. That's that's kind of what I was thinking. You know, like if you go to a famous 
pizza parlor in New York, you'll have pictures of all the celebrities that have ever been there. This might be the first instance of that ever happening. You know what I mean? Because Barnum was famous. And you're right. The picture of his family was there. And then, but there were also pictures of uh, the performers and kind of everything else that had gone along. So, but overall, you like that scene? I did like it. I loved it when the bartender um, lined up all the glasses and just in one swoop with the alcohol and filled all the um, shot shot glasses. glasses. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I thought that was fantastic. What about you? Uh, this was another scene that if you go onto YouTube, you can watch the making of. And one of the things I love and I appreciate about this is everything you're seeing, especially with the sound matching the rhythm and all that of the glasses and the drinks, that was all done. I mean, that was all almost like one take that they filmed all of this doing these scenes. And this was probably maybe what I thought was the second best uh, choreographed you know, dance and music kind of in this movie. I uh, wouldn't say it's my favorite music number, but um, comes really close. Yeah. And so now um, things are starting to come together and Zac Efron's character is going to join for 10%. And, you know, uh, Jackman is now kind of training him to take over to be the ringmaster, or at least that's what he his hopes are. And during this whole process, um, we meet Anne. You could tell that there's an immediate attraction there. And I think the only real chemistry I bought in this entire film was Zac Efron and Zendaya. Same. And and it's no offense to the other characters. I just didn't buy the chemistry between Jackman and Williams. Same. And that's and that's my own opinion of what I felt about the two characters. I definitely felt that because there was there was not chemistry between husband and wife. But, right. But I did buy the chemistry between these two. Right. I like the whole motif of them, especially with, you know, the slowing down and making eye contact and the idea throughout that they continue on, which is kind of a forbidden love. Uh, I, I really like that. I thought that was a touching story to kind of add in. Yeah. What about you, Jules? I didn't really buy it. And I think it was mainly knowing that the times, you know, in 1840, it just was just no way that that could ever happen. But yet they're you suspend dan- but yet, of other things. Yeah, but yet yes. you you buy the music or the choreography this in the eighteen forties. This is true, but I just didn't. I don't know. I just didn't feel it with those two. I no. felt it better with Jackman Williams than really. Mm-hmm. So completely yeah. opposite of Don. Completely opposite. And me. Yeah. Well, yeah. what do you think of the whole them going to meet the Queen? I thought it was funny. I thought it was you know good for them, good for the performers. You know. Zendaya stands up and says, are we all invited? And then Zac Efron says, well, if we're not all going to go, then none of us are going to go. So, you know, coming in and as the knight in shining armor. Um, but overall, as the scene, I thought it was fine because this this it needs to propel the story along. Right. He He's already somewhat of a success. We've already had 28 songs and we're only seven minutes into this movie. So I think that um, the natural progression and basically how it happened in history, I guess. Well, not not exactly. First things that I I wanted to look up, it seemed awfully weird to take the entire circus troupe out to meet the queen. It would have been in between a 30 and 60 day, probably boat trip just to get to England. The second thing is in history, in real life, P.T. Barnum only took Tom Thumb. He did not take the whole circus crew. Well, I, I hate to burst your bubble, buddy, but in real life, 
these songs didn't exist. This type of music didn't exist. No. And neither did the dancing. No. So let's suspend mm-hmm. our disbelief. And I'm shocked that's coming from you. Well, I'm just saying, if, if you want to know historically accurate, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I still like the way this scene happened. I thought that it was humorous. I was, you know, it, this can went to show the idea in the movie of Barnum accepting them and and even bringing them, even though it kind of also shows at the same time he made them come in costume, and immediately when he saw the next big thing, he kind of moved on. Oh, so yeah. Again, I mean, you're getting a, a feel for him. This scene definitely was put in there to uh, introduce Jenny Lynn and uh, show us that Barnum can turn on the drop of a hat. You know what I mean? The whole idea of seeing Jenny Lynn, you know, she's the next big thing that he can legitimize himself with sure and i got to admit this this bit of the movie kind of felt long to me uh from here until the whole jenny lynn thing is wrapped up uh what did you guys think of the whole jenny lynn bit did you guys like her as a character would you think of rebecca ferguson did you guys like it it was adequate i mean i i understood why she was there because that was a basic part of his story arc and i i get it and so I, I didn't mind, but I understand what you're saying, how it started kind of sort of to uh, pull the movie uh, to a slower pace. I loved it. I, um, I was really impressed with um, her acting. And I guess um, she, cause I was like, how is she lip syncing this song? And it's so real. You can see the muscles in her neck and, and everything. But I guess she really did sing it out loud, but then they did... Um, they gave her a better voice. They yeah. dubbed her with a different dubbed singer. Her, yeah. But, um, I mean, she's just beautiful. She played the the part like this beautiful princess. I I, I loved it. Let me ask you, Julie, this question. Um, you are very anti uh, anybody who cheats in a movie or cheats in real life. Or it's very negative to you. Like, if... An actor in real life cheats. You won't see that actor in movies. You won't support them in any way. Uh, this movie does hint, you know, obviously Jenny Lynn, she makes a pass at P.T. Barnum. He shoots it down. In history, we don't know what really happened. I don't think it, they, from the sound of it, it didn't really happen. But uh, they kind of portrayed. Do you think that P.T. Barnum kind of led her on a little bit? Or do you think that uh, she was reading way too much into it? I took it that she was reading way too much into it. He was so into his wife and so into his children um, that I just felt like she was too far into it. Mm-hmm. Did you have a thought on that, Don? Um, well, I'm not going to say that he was completely innocent. I mean, during those songs and him getting emotional, I mean, it could have very easily been taken the wrong way. You know what I mean? Well, it certainly alluded to it initially when he's listening to her sing for the first time that he has this look of awe on his face and then bing, right out to Charity. And she's like, oh, no. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, it was, Charity sees it. Yeah, It was definitely alluded to in the story. Yeah. Um, and whether or not he did in real life, whatever, who fucking cares? Same. What I like about this bit is that he doesn't. Uh, apparently, in real life, that is one of the things that bankrupted uh, P.T. Barnum is when Jenny Lind quit the tour. He had already prepaid for so many things that uh, it, it was one of the things that destroyed him, that and the fire of the circus. Yeah, and so she gets all pissed off that he doesn't accept her advance, 
and uh, she goes out on stage. She does one last song with them being together before he leaves, and then she kisses him on stage. And naturally, all the people are there to fucking take pictures. You realize we've we've skipped over like three songs. Oh, for fuck's sakes! Only three. Mm-hmm. And I bet one of those songs is probably my favorite scene in the movie. I bet you're right. So I wouldn't. I would not take that bet. So can you tell me, Professor, what you think my favorite scene of this movie is? I'm willing to guess that it's the uh, This Is Me song. No. I would guess that it is the Rewrite, rewrite the Stars performance between Never Zendaya enough. and uh, Zac Efron. That would be correct. I think that, um, it's that it's the moment between the two of them. It's just the two of them. And they are expressing how they feel about each other in song which I appreciate, but I like the high flying and the spinning around and just the whole look of it. You know what I mean? This is me or this is what's the name of the song. Uh, This is me. Uh, Great song, you know, good moment, very uplifting. Uh, The rest of the songs. Okay. I had to ask myself at one point, did fallout boy write the soundtrack for this? Cause they, a lot of them sound like fallout boy songs. I wouldn't disagree with that. So, Anyways, but I, I I agree with you. I really like the rewrite the stars song. That is what I was alluding to earlier as probably my my favorite performance of this whole movie. In that both Philip and Anne, uh, the actors, they did their own stunts for that scene. That's all them. That's not stand-ins or anything else. They had to learn to do all of those circus type spins and performances and people pulling them up them up on ropes. It's another thing on YouTube. You can actually watch the making of it and it's very impressive. And it's it's amazing that neither one of them got hurt during the filming of any of it. Yeah. You bring up the song This Is Me. That's the one that was nominated for the Academy Award but lost to the movie Coco. Uh so did you like that song? Did it feel like... I, one of the things I love about it is it's a very empowering song and can speak to a lot of different circumstances. Uh, that wasn't, though, your favorite, Don? My favorite song? Or favorite song of the movie, yeah. Um, no, I like, the, I like the opening song. If I had to pick my favorite song of the movie, it's the opening one. A million Dreams. No, God, no. Wasn't that the opening? No. no. I the thought great, it went. The Greatest Showman opened... Yeah, that one I like. Um, right. The greatest show. Million Dreams is a million minutes too long. Every night I lie in bed, the brightest colors fill my head. A million dreams keeping me away. You know what I mean? Um, this is Me is a good song. Uh, Rewrite the Stars is a good song, but I, I think the, my favorite scene is the Rewrite the Stars. Professor, do you have any thoughts on... This is me or rewrite the stars or for this is me. I saw a music video several years ago put on by the Tamika dance club. It's a Japanese high school dance club and they did a choreographed video to this song fucking kicks ass. And I got to say, hands down, it is in my opinion, way better than the movie version, the editing, the styling, the passion, the energy that this video has is great. And, um, I've watched the video a couple of times over the years. And so when it came to the, uh, this moment and the movie is played and I get to watch this as me, it's like, "Mm, you know what? That's good, but I like the other one better because I happened to see it first. I think I'll say, so it might've been different if you'd seen this first. That's what I think. Okay. 
I absolutely love this song. I have it on my playlist. I play it in the car. Um, Shocker. It just gets me in the feels because, um, you know, every girl in their life has been, you know, knocked down or didn't feel they were good enough. And that song just is so empowering that um, you just you can't help but feel it in your bones. Right on. Right on. And that is the power of music, mm-hmm. you know. Plus, it also is the way it was performed. You could see the the feeling coming from Letty of just the being, you know, the man that she almost looked to as a father, as the person who put her family together, has now rejected her, and she's tired of it. She's not going to take it anymore. You know, early, throughout this early on in the movie, you know, you've seen how she's just defeated and how she, you know, just takes people's abuse, and she's just not going to take it anymore. And you really get that feeling from her performance in this. Sure. 100%. Barnum returns home to find his circus on fire. Caused by a fight between protesters and the troop, Philip runs into the burning building to save Anne, not knowing that she had already escaped. He suffers serious injuries before Barnum rescues him. Bennett tells Barnum that the culprits have been caught and that Lynn has canceled her tour after Barnum's scandal. Barnum's mansion is foreclosed and Charity, having found out about the kiss, berates Barnum for being in love with only himself and his show and takes the girls to her parents' home. Devastated, Barnum retreats to a local bar. His troop finds him there and says that despite their disappointments, they still consider themselves a family. Inspired, he resolves to build a new show and not let ambition rule him. Philip awakens in the hospital with Anne by his side, while Barnum and Charity reconcile. So, yeah, he uh, he leaves the tour with Lynn, wants to go home, and as he's coming home, uh, during one of the shows, there were some assholes. Of course, you have to have assholes. Uh, this world would not be what it is without the assholes. Um, starting some shit. And the troops like fuck that, you can't you can't come and talk shit to us without us not doing anything. So a big fight breaks out, and naturally one of the assholes burns down the circus. One of the big things that this movie was trying to convey, which I don't know if it always succeeded, but it was trying to show again the differences between the lower class and the upper class, as well as the way that society sees people and judges people. And you with these assholes that you're talking about who burned down the they're, they're representative of just the societal hate of anything different, of anything that they don't see that fits in. And you really get that impression from them. Now, I kept thinking every time I saw them when they kind of did the montages of, you know, PT with Jenny Lind and then going back to show the circus and then going back and forth, you'd always see them in the crowd yelling. I kept thinking, well, are they buying tickets to the show? You well, know? if they are, joke's on them, right? Exactly. Yeah. That was during the tightrope montage. What tightrope montage? That's the name of the song, Tightrope. What's happening during the scene? Just going back and forth, I think. We get to see how lonely, uh, we get to see how lonely. uh, Jenny Lynn, or uh, Charity sings it. Michelle Williams sings the song. Yeah. When she's dancing in the house. That's probably why I don't remember it. So he gets back to just in time as he gets off the train to find out that his circus is burning down, which again is something I guess that happened in real life. Uh, I thought the timing was was awfully nice on that. Oh, yeah. Perfect timing, as per usual. 
Musical timing is what I call that. Mm -hmm. Uh, So he gets there just in time to watch his circus burn down. And uh, Philip is gravely injured. Well, he runs in because he thinks Anne's in the fire. But what does she come out of a back door? Yeah, she comes comes around from the side. So anyway, Philip runs in. Then, of course, Barnum has to run in after Philip. And we see the whole thing collapse, which is supposed to give us an indication of, oh, no, now they've both died. But we know. Never once in a million years did I think either of them were going to die. I did appreciate the look on the little girls' faces. I thought they did an okay job of portraying, you know, the fear and the the sadness. Well, well there you go. What did you think? Was it, was it somebody going to die in this fire? No. I knew no, that nobody would die in the fire. I thought it was interesting in my research of this that um, to find out that the set really did burn. And... um they lost like I think it was three hundred thousand dollars with all of the lighting, lighting equipment, equipment. And, mm-hmm. and whatnot. But they were able to. They left the film rolling, so they got a lot of um, clues on how the fire looked and how it would um, be, so that they they could dub that in. I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah, but there were five off-duty firefighters on set, and they were able to contain the fire until the fire department showed up. And they decided to keep the cameras rolling because they wanted to use that footage to uh, recreate their fire for the movie later on. Yeah, well, it was a spectacular fire. Mm -hmm. So, And so it burns down. And uh, next day we have Bennett show up as he's sitting there picking through the rubble. Right. And they share a drink. And um, they kind of of come to terms. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Bennett really reveals to him that... uh, Jenny Lind has left the tour because he says, well, I can rebuild it by taking from the profits that, you know, early from the profits of the Jenny Lind tour. And he's like, you didn't hear she quit. And then he shows her, shows him the newspaper ad of them kissing uh, the article. And uh, he realizes, oh shit, my wife's going to leave me for over this. So yeah. he goes running to try to get with his wife. And she does. She leaves. Oh, and the house has been foreclosed on. Yeah, because he he mortgaged it for the Jenny Lynn tour without telling her. What are you going to do? While this is going on, we find out that Philip isn't dead and that Anne was with him the whole time. And and then when Philip wakes up, Anne goes in and kisses him right away, right? I was thinking, wouldn't that have fucking hurt? Because wasn't his face all burnt and bruised from the fire? But wouldn't it be worth it? Ah, you you pose an interesting question. Now, wait, is that from Zendaya or from anyone? I don't know. Zac Efron actually said that that was his favorite all-time kiss that he's ever had in a movie. I thought it was the one at the end. Oh, I, I it could be the one at the end, but he said kissing Zendaya was the all-time best kiss he's he's ever had. But he also said the same thing about Baywatch and Dwayne Johnson. Well, come on. It's the rock, man. What do you think of the coming to terms scene with P.T. Barnum in the bar? You know, and the ensemble showing up. They saying, all show up, and he's first thing is, you know, the money is gone. I got nothing. And all they express to him is, we want our family back. Yeah, it was very predictable. And uh, the sentiment is there, and it's sweet. And it, it, it does tug at your heartstrings. I thought, for me personally... This, of the movie, this was probably the best emotional output in a performance that we got from him. You could actually, 
you know, the way he started very quiet, very slow, and kind of built it up to, you know, ready to, you know, re revitalize and re-energize to get his family back and get everything back. I kind of appreciated that about his his acting in this one. Are we moving on? Do you guys have any thoughts on any of these scenes? What, uh, the, the dance routine in the bar? The bar scene. <laughs> the bar scene. I, it was fine. I liked it better when they called it Grease, but what are you going to do? <laughs> I feel you on that one. I don't remember Grease having a bar scene. Uh, uh, take the bar out and put in the white Grease Lightning car. I thought you were going to say the, the car workshop. Yeah. After recovering, Philip offers his share of the profits to help Barnum rebuild the circus in exchange for becoming a full partner, which Barnum readily accepts. To economize, Barnum transforms the Enterprise into an open-air tent circus. The revamped circus is a huge success, and Barnum has Philip take his place as ringmaster so the former can spend more time with his family. Barnum leaves the circus early and arrives on an elephant to attend Caroline and Helen's ballet recital. The movie ends with a quote from P.T. Barnum that reads, The noblest art is that of making others happy. Roll credits. One comment you made earlier, Don, was you didn't know if he ever got control of his ambition, if he was always seeking more. And I felt like during that bar scene where he talked about uh, knowing what he really wanted and finding what he really wanted, uh, this is the pledge he made to his wife when he went back and he sang to her and all that, was that there was now a final point of his ambition, which was he just wanted to be a father and a good husband. And that was the whole idea of him passing the reins to Philip at the end was he was now going to be just a father and a, and a good husband. Yeah. Professor, any thoughts about how the movie wrapped up? I was surprised that it went to such a happy ending where he's just going to be all rainbows and unicorns with his family. Oh, of course it was going to be a happy ending. It's Disney it's Hugh Jackman, and you're talking about The Greatest Showman. There was no doubt in my mind that it was going to be a full-on happy ending. What I kind of questioned was, where was that elephant going after he got off? Do they have valet, elephant valet parking? Maybe he was going to give his wife and children a ride home on the elephant. That's a pretty big car. That was a big fucking elephant. He could have just tied it to a hydrant. Yeah, maybe. No, he just got off and ran in. I thought, what are you doing with the elephant? Well, it's not like you can't find a giant elephant later. Well. As it's tearing through town. There wasn't even anybody there to take the reins. And how did he get up there? That looked like a very big fucking elephant. Like, more so than usual. No? Just me? Yeah. I'm the only one that wondered? And this is the only thing that really sparked your belief system throughout the movie? Yep. So the movie wraps up. Uh, I like the bit where uh, Zach Efron's like, hey, I saved my money. I'll be your partner, even though you're kind of a douche. We all like you. Um, but I like the little throwouts throughout this entire film, and I caught a couple of them. The first one is uh, when Zach Efron says, I can't just go run off and join the circus. I mean, that's been a saying forever, right? And then they move it to the big top. You know, that was the the next step in the evolution of the circus because we all know circuses from the big top. So I thought those were nice little nods myself. And then it wraps up with, you guessed it, another song, The Greatest Show. I do feel like, you know, and I've commented on this before to Julie, that they missed the boat a little bit at the very end 
when they're talking about, you know, they're repeating over and over again, this is the greatest show, this is the greatest show. And I always kind of wanted to see Hugh Jackman when he got to his daughter's ballet recital and he's sitting in the audience and he's talking about, you know, this is everything I want, this is everything I need. And I always thought he should finish with, as he's watching his daughters, saying, this is the greatest show, watching his daughters grow up. I thought in that last scene, the choreography was outstanding. Sure. I thought it was just so, I just, I could rewind it and watch it again. I just, you really got to see all of the characters or the, you know, freaks um, and see them all where you really could study them. And like, I thought it was fantastic. Yeah, it's giving us the the circus experience that we have come to know when from our childhood, right? You have the the performing animals, you have the flaming hoops, all that jazz in the tent. But initially, I thought you were talking about the ballet. Wait a minute, no, because that was the very last scene was the ballet. And what's the deal in the audience? Did you notice everybody was wearing a white, you know, a, a white tie and, and a black tux? For, for a, a ballet recital style, I guess. Yeah, but back then that was pretty big deal. Did you like how the other daughter was a tree? Oh, sure. Yeah. They're, just be a fucking tree. It's fine. She looked happy being a tree. Yeah. What I was most impressed with out throughout this entire film was all the stage lighting they had in 1840. So elaborate. Yeah. I thought that, especially with the um, the lights, like the Christmas lights that were around. Yeah. thought, how are they lighting that good question well it looked like when they showed showed barnum's house they must have had power of some sort because he had electric lights in the house no those were those were gas lights well when she was dancing i thought when she was dancing through the hallways the lights looked electric they you say they were gas Mm -hmm. okay and that was the greatest showman so just out of curiosity john i'm wondering you know with all these songs and you love a musical so much. What is it with you in loving Lord of the Rings so much? Because there's no songs in there. Dude, 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 dude. And now it's time for John's. Moment. Well, to answer the professor's question, if they made a musical Lord of the Rings, instant five fucks. I mean, I don't even have to see the movie to give it five fucks. That'd be just fucking amazing. But this is the point in our podcast where I take whatever we're reviewing and compare it to the greatest movie series ever made, Lord of the Rings. So for The Greatest Showman, Frodo is definitely P.T. Barnum. Both characters start out as relatively ordinary individuals who are thrust into extraordinary circumstances and forced to confront challenges that they can never have imagined. They both go on a journey that is both physical and spiritual, and they both emerge from their experiences transformed and changed in profound ways. Charity, Barnum's wife, would be my pick for Samwise Gamgee. Both characters are supportive and loyal to the main character, and they both play important roles in helping them achieve their goals. They both are able to see the good in their friends and encourage them to keep going even when things get tough. Philip Carlyle, he's my pick for Boromir. In The Greatest Showman, the elite are portrayed as looking down on those below them. In Lord of the Rings, Boromir starts out looking down on the rest of the Fellowship, especially the Hobbits. He doesn't trust them and feels he knows better, 
but by the end, he redeems himself by sacrificing his life to protect Frodo. Similarly, Carlisle comes from the upper crust. At first, he looks down on Barnum and takes the deal as a business venture only. But he eventually comes to understand and love Barnum's vision, sacrificing his other life for his new family and the greater good. The The greater greater good. good. Philip also has many Aragorn qualities. He's a prince, possibly a future king in his family, but gave it up to follow his dreams. His innate charm draws the performers to follow his lead, and he genuinely cares about them, even willing to put his life on the line when needed, especially when he runs in to try to save Anne. Legolas, in The Greatest Showman, would be Anne Wheeler. Like Legolas, Anne is a skilled performer who is graceful and elegant and captivating to watch. She's also an outsider, initially rejected by others because of her race. And like Legolas, Anne is drawn to Aragorn, our Philip. The best comparison for Gimli would be Tom Thumb. Like Gimli, Tom is small in stature but fierce in battle, often surprising his opponents with his tenacity. And like Gimli, he's fiercely loyal to Barnum as well as the other performers. P.T. Barnum would also be my pick for Gandalf. Like Gandalf, Barnum is charismatic and an influential figure who inspires others to follow him and believe in his vision. He is also a master showman and a spectacle, using his creativity and ingenuity to create experiences and captivate and delight audiences. Much like Gandalf uses his wisdom and magic to inspire and protect the people of Middle-earth. Merry and Pippin, my picks for them would be Caroline and Hunter, Barnum's young daughters. Initially, they are portrayed as innocent and naive characters drawn into a larger adventure. They later serve as a source of inspiration for their father and the other performers, much like Merry and Pippin evolve throughout the series and become important members of the Fellowship. That would make the Fellowship P.T. Barnum, Charity, Philip, Anne, Tom Thumb, Caroline, and Helen. Saruman the White? That would be the critic James Gordon Bennett. While he's a good man at heart, or possibly was, he serves the greater evil in disparaging Barnum's circus and performances all to appease his master. Sauron? In The Greatest Showman is represented by the societal forces that are aligned against P.T. Barnum and his performers. Throughout the movie, Barnum and his troupe face opposition from a variety of sources, including wealthy elites and a violent mob. These forces represent a larger societal pressure to conform to established norms and reject anything that seems unconventional or non-traditional. Like Sauron in Lord of the Rings, society tries to make Barnum bend to its will and conform to their standards. So what is the precious? What is the one ring? In The Greatest Showman, the ring is represented by ambition. It's what drives Barnum on his journey throughout the movie. It's also what corrupts him as his ambition gets too big and out of control. His ambition almost costs him everything. Early on, it's Charity who helps Barnum control the influences of his ambition. But later, even she can't overcome the corrupting influence that ambition has on him. It's not until he himself overcomes his own ambition that he's able to reclaim his life and cast off its dark influences. 
I'd say his Mount Doom moment came when he handed his hat to Philip at the end of the movie and chose his family over his ambition. And there you have it, my comparison between The Greatest Showman and Lord of the Rings. Bring on the grades. So he takes the ambition, which is the ring, and he gives it to someone else. So basically, he's not destroying it. He's just providing more he's mayhem and evil to someone else. He's I, casting it off. I disagree. He did not give his ambition. He gave a. He basically let go of his ambition by giving that hat off. He was basically saying, "I don't need anything more than what I have." Huh? Okay, Jules. I am curious to know. You know nothing about Lord of the Rings. What'd you think of all that? It's just gibberish. <laughs> I, I believe if I looked over at her, I think she was on her phone during the whole time. Well, then she also gave a couple of looks that were priceless that we'll just keep here. Um, yeah. Uh, what do you got, Professor? Well, I... Gibberish aside. <laughs> um, you, you have the basics that are there, that are always there. And that's your baseline. And I am perplexed about having the dual roles Sam, Gandalf, Boromir, Aragon. It's like, do they get to share or not? Uh, I don't know. The rest of it's got to be pretty strong for me, for me to have that. And so pretty much the linchpin was going to end up having to be, what is the ring? What is the precious? And I think that it was correctly put to say that the ambition is the ring that he is trying to rid himself of. And once he eventually hands off the top hat, as John points out, I think that that's a rather symbolic gesture of him casting off his ambition. And so because of that, I'm going to give this a B minus. B minus from the professor. I'm going to agree with the ring bit, uh, but I'm also in, I'm going to also say that I don't mind when he combines the characters. I think that's a good use of them. And I think that it it's it's a different take than just one for one is what we normally get. So I like to see him do that. I'm going to give you, good sir, a B. Can I say one thing without losing a grade? And that was John's. Moment. All right, what do you guys think? You guys ready to rate this flick? I'm ready to rate this flick. John, you ready to rate this flick? I think I could be talked into rating it. I'm not going to sing it. Julie, are you ready to rate this flick? I'm ready to rate this flick. Professor, how do we do our ratings? We do our ratings on a scale of one to five fucks. Five fucks is a movie that we think is cinematic gold. Anytime somebody says, hey, you want to watch The Greatest Showman? I'm like, fuck yeah, I do. A one fuck movie is a movie where it's sort of a one and done. You've seen it and you really have no desire to see it anymore. There's just no redeeming thing that's like, uh, yeah, maybe. No, I'm not going to watch that again. And what's a zero? A zero fuck movie is, oh, for shit's sake. What the hell was that? I, uh, you know what? You owe me one hour and 44 minutes of my life back. Or in other words, we just don't give a fuck. All right. Who'd like to go first? Would you like me to go first? I'm pretty sure the guest usually goes first. Would the, would the guest like to go first? Sure, I'll go first. There you go. Fire away there, Ms. Julie. All right. The Greatest Showman is an inspiring and uplifting musical movie that celebrates life and encourages us to never give up on our dreams. The soundtrack is fantastic. The lyrics are strong. The choreography, the set designs were also incredibly well done. 
Hugh Jackman's portrayal of P.T. Barnum was so believable. He was able to show the strength of Barnum's spirit, capturing his drive and determination and his passion for his family. I felt the highs and lows of Barnum's life through his performance. P.T. Barnum understood that everyone has something special in them, and when you come together to share talents, it can create something magical. The idea of let's celebrate our differences. This movie really told the story that no matter what anyone tells you, with enough hard work and determination, you can achieve great things. I can watch this movie over and over again without getting bored. It's a movie that will stay with you long after the credits roll. It is truly inspiring, and I do recommend it to everyone. If I turn the TV on and it's playing, I'm watching it. Therefore, I'm giving this movie a 4.75 fucks. 4.75 fucks from Julie. All right. uh, You know what? I would love to hear Ken's. I bet you would. Fire away, good sir. The Greatest Showman. As I stated before, first time I watched it was the other night. And in watching it, I had mixed feelings about it. I knew that it was commercially successful and there was a lot of buzz around it when it came out. And I was curious to see how I would feel about it. Several years ago, we all got together and we all watched La La Land. And La La Land was my first when we were all together, that was my first experience of watching it after all the hype and our friends had raved about it so strongly. And in general, when people rave, rave, rave about a movie, I start to get a little turned off by it. And so I was curious to see how this was going to be. Even though I hadn't heard anything about the movie in a long time, I was curious to see how I was going to feel about it. Because these contemporary musicals, I don't necessarily follow or pursue them. It's just not my thing. And I was struck by how many songs there were. I I was fatigued by the end of the movie. And it's another song. And another song. And it's another song. And I think that having uh, this character, P.T. Barnum, being represented in real life, it's so different from the character that I got in the movie. And it like I stated earlier, it was like a, a, a screw that was, you know, it, it was like twisting away inside my head about this is not a good guy and this is entirely a work of fiction. And in the end, the musical pieces were okay. I enjoyed that one particular bar piece called The Other Side. And the choreography, I, I really thought it was very stylishly done. And uh, the briskness and the simplicity of it, I really enjoyed it. The characters of P.T. Barnum and Chastity, the wife, I was indifferent about. I did enjoy the story arc more of our two fictional characters of Philip and Anne, and I think probably because I'm a bit of a sucker for a love story. It was curious to have uh, the stigmatism that was so prevalent in her story arc that I understand society at the time is so judgy back then, and that would very much keep them apart. But that was the more endearing story arc that I enjoyed over P.T. Barnum and, and his wife. And so in the end, when I looked at the movie after I was all done, it's like, yeah, all right, that was okay. And so because it's something that I don't necessarily pursue for musicals in general, it's a 2.5 fuck movie. Two and a half fucks from the professor. So right there in the middle, huh? Mm-hmm. Right there, tough guy, you or me. 
I, I don't know what that means. Would you like me to go first or would you like to go? I But I asked you that same question. Well, then I will go. All right. Holy shit, Julie. He made a fucking decision. It, Listeners, just so you see it, sh- his wife has a look of astonishment on her face. I'm helping you out. Bud. All I can say is 100%. <laughs> You gonna predict? Yeah. Are, are you going to predict my score before I give it? All right. So I think that uh, you love this movie, as you have said. However, I do think that uh, maybe, just maybe, we got in your head a little bit. So I think you are going to give the Greatest Showman four and a half fucks. Is that your final answer? That's my final answer. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, all gather around for a cinemagraphic gem that will truly astound. The Greatest Showman is a feast for the eyes, with music and dance that is an engaging surprise. Hugh Jackman leads with his signature charm, as P.T. Barnum, his personality will disarm. With dreams to create a circus of wonders, the heart of this movie hits you like thunder. The songs are catchy, the lyrics profound, the choreography us definitely will astound. The aerial acrobatics to fire-breathing thrills, The Greatest Showman is a spectacle that fulfills. With a message of inclusion and unbreakable acceptance, the movie delivers with unbridled exuberance. For lovers of musicals, both young and old, of musical movies, this one is almost cinematic gold. My rating, four and a half fucks. Bam. Four and a half fucks from the comic book guy. You go next. Thank you. I will. Uh, The Greatest Showman. Hugh Jackman, Zac Efron, Zendaya, and the rest of the performers were delightful enough. Uh, Michelle Williams, eh, okay. The songs were catchy. Uh, I liked a lot of the songs until they all started to sound like the same song. Now, to my defense, they could have been the same song, and I just didn't know. But, um, you know, overall, as a musical, the story was pretty simple. You know, rags to riches, story of the American dream, or what we think is the American dream. And, okay, Barnum was a douche in real life, but who wasn't or who hasn't been? You know what I mean? What I think Jackman does is try to take the essence. And I think he does a good job. As far as uh, musicals go, like I said, it kind of drugged just a little bit for me. But it doesn't take away the fact that I thought Zac Efron and Zendaya did a great job. And I really dig that scene of them together and the rewrite the stars bit. Uh, probably my favorite scene of the movie. Other than that, it was kind of a paint by numbers. I do, I do like when musicals use modern dance and modern beats and and modern music to old timey uh, subjects. Uh, I think it translates really well, and The Greatest Showman did that. Uh, and like I said earlier, just for having Hugh Jackman in it, you get two and a half fucks automatically from me. So overall. As a film, I'm giving The Greatest Showman three solid fucks. Oh, did you call that? I called that. Nice. Why didn't you say something? 3.0, Don. Yeah. <laughs> Look at that. Yeah. That's what I was thinking, too. Were you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You came in a lot lower than I thought. I thought you'd go at least three. But I hear you. 
So with four and a half fucks from the comic book guy, two and a half fucks from the professor, and three fucks from yours truly, that gives the greatest showman an average of 3.3 fucks, which ties it in the 19th spot with Big and Mall Rats. It is slightly better than, oh, for fuck's sakes. It is slightly better than Once Upon a Time in Mexico, Chef, and Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, and slightly worse than It, It Chapter 2, Big Trouble in Little China, and Tango in Cash. I think I have to agree with ones that it's better than. Don't you, Professor? (laughs) I'm not going to say anything. Let me ask you guys this important question. You're on an island, and you have to choose between two musicals of which one you're going to watch. Greatest Showman or Moulin Rouge? Which one are you going to watch? Shoot me. Just drown you on that? Yeah, just drown me. I'm done. Put a fork in me. Professor? I'm taking a high dive off that cliff. Yeah, we're done. So there you go. That's how much we think of your movies. You're going to feed yourself to the (laughs) shark? Yeah, absolutely. Then have to sit through uh, Nicole Kidman trying to sing an Elton John song? That was the worst movie. It's the second worst movie ever made. What's the first? Moulin Rouge was. Um, Blazing Saddles. Oh, interesting. Yeah. But interesting. Moulin Rouge would have been the worst, but I did like the costumes and the set design. Well, there you go. All right, that is going to wrap it up for this episode of Three Guys in a Flick. If you would like to know which movie we are going to be reviewing next, please check out our website. And speaking of which, hey, John, where can they find us? Well, as you mentioned, they can find us at our website, threeguysinaflick.com, where we go ahead and post all of our show notes. We post all of our podcasts. We have some fun blog posts, quizzes up there, and we do a teaser for every op, you know, upcoming podcast that we're going to be doing. We also... Uh, have a place on the website where you can go out, you can click a button and submit a movie that you would like to see us review next. You can also find us at all, any place that hosts social media, as well as uh, you can also find us at, at all of social media and any place that hosts podcasts. All right, there you go. I just want to thank Zach, Ronnie, and Jill for listening. Keep on listening. Thanks, Zach. Thanks, Ronnie. Thanks, Jill. And I want to throw another shout-out to one of our new listeners, Edwin P. Thanks for suggesting the two movies. We can't wait to get into it. And I also want to thank Julie for coming out and hanging out with us and being on the show. Did you have a good time? I had a great time. Are you sure? Yes. I also want to thank anyone else who listens and who has suggested a movie. If you keep listening, we'll keep recording. For Three Guys in a Flick, I'm Don. I'm John. I'm Ken. And I'm Julie, 100%. Ladies and gents, this is the moment you've waited for. You've been searching in the dark. <coughs> Release on God damn it, Julie! 100%. It was very important that PT exploited his daughter in order to manipulate the bearded lady to get her to do what he wanted her to do to make a buck. Don? Hmm? What'd you think? Didn't I already answer that? I thought you started with the professor. No, I don't think you answered it. God damn it. Uh, it was it was good. Nice, um, nice try, Weasel. Yes, John, I have a favorite scene of this film. Um, the end? Oh, that's good. <clears throat> um, it's a musical. He probably had a Woody the whole time. Can you confirm? I can neither confirm or... Nor. Nor. <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
100%. Four <laughs> <laughs> names? I've got one. Do you have one? Of course Let's you add, do. Well, it's the guest. We should ask the guest first. Guest, do you have a porn name for this? The Greatest Blowman. Oh, that's good. That's better than mine. What's yours? The Greatest Boneman. Oh, that's also kind of... I like Blowman, but Boneman's not bad. I was just going to say The Greatest Pornman. Professor, what is your choice? The Greatest Showman. You know, he's a shower, not a grower. Oh, my God. I don't remember this song. I I do, and I'm not going to say it, so... Oh, my God. I can't remember what song it was. Oh, Everybody Everybody. Yep. That's what mute sounds like, people. Oh, for fuck's sakes. Get me out of here, Professor. All right. Fuck off. Good night. <laughs>